But today we're going to continue our series this morning, talking about the passage from uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And we're looking at this because uh, we believe that this is how we be the church, to be people who are out there, relevant, able to help people, uh, to point people who are lost, who haven't yet found a saviour, who are broken, who are in need of God, point them back to God. And so we're looking at for these four weeks, last week Darren spoke, this week and the next two weeks about how we need to be as the church. If we are going to be people who are out there and able to, uh, to point people back to the one who came for them to save them and for the lost. And last week Darren shared about uh, when Jesus encountered Zacchaeus and that wonderful tree climbing story and, and that whole, whole event that happened with the thought that, you know, so often when we look at somebody like Zacchaeus, we, we never really stop to, to think about what is the story behind what we see. And Darren shared about that whole idea and about what could have been happening in Zacchaeus' life, what could have been the outworked thing that we saw and we like to look at and talk about, but what was really happening under the, under the scene there. And um, he told this amazing story about the lifeboat rescue station, if you remember that. Uh, and it really is a challenging story. And I know the first time I heard it, I, I felt quite challenged about it. But just to remind us, it tells a story about a, a coastline. It's, it's obviously fictional, but, but there's a coastline where... Uh, Ships were being wrecked and lives were being lost and people were drowning. And, and so uh, some people who had been saved and rescued and made it to shore, they, they, start, a, they start an outpost of a, of a life-saving boat chapter group thing. It's probably a technical term, but I'm not quite there. And, uh, and so they, they set up a, a life-saving station. There we go. And uh, they, they spend their time going out and, and warning ships and rescuing people who had been lost by the, by the ship being wrecked. And, and, and it's a long story, but it basically goes on to describe that after time, the people who had originally been rescued and set up the lifeboat station suddenly become very comfortable. And they start to build themselves a nice clubhouse and only allow a certain type of person in there. And even though they were once people who were saved from the waters, they now have this comfortable life living in a club and have forgotten the actual purpose of what they're doing. Kind of sound a bit familiar sometimes. You know, that, that's why I think it hits hard at home because obviously it's, a, it's an example of how we can be in the church unfortunately, that we can become really comfortable in here and forget the fact that once upon a time we were shipwrecked and needed saving and it's our job to go out and, and keep rescuing people and to keep guiding them back to the one who came for, the, for those that are lost and those that are broken. And so this week we're going to have a look at our challenge for uh, how Jesus viewed the lost, which is with, with love, with unconditional love. And most importantly, without any judgment. And so we're going to have a look at that this week and, and see how we need to be as the church. And a few examples of what Jesus did and how he demonstrated this life of love and, and without judgment for those who are lost and needing him. I just want to remind us in John 13, 
34 in the message translation, Jesus says, let me give you a new command, love one another in the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for one another. It's a real interesting verse because um, Jesus said the thing that should identify us is love. Not our attendance at church, not what our Facebook about page says that we believe, not the clothes that we wear, the words that we say, the, the jewelry that we have, the, the crosses that we might wear, and all of that stuff is good. But he said that the one thing that should identify us first and foremost is our love for each other. And he doesn't just mean our love for each other in this family, he means our love for people. For everyone, no matter whether they have found God yet or whether they're still on the journey of seeking Him. But that's the one thing that should identify us as a group of people who follow Christ is that our love for each other is strong. But I think unfortunately, if I can say, the, the church, not our church, but the church, I think too often today is known for the things that we're against rather than the things that we're for. You've only got to turn on the TV sometimes to hear controversial topics and realize that, that we're often put there as the things that we're against, rather than being the group of people who should be known and identified by the fact that we love people. And that's, something, that's why it's so important for us to go and be the church and understand how Jesus truly sees and saw people through some of the examples that we're going to have a look at today. I found this interesting study about, about uh, North American Indian tribes. And, uh, and what, what the study was showing was that from Alaska, which if you, if you didn't do too well in geography, uh, that's up the top, which is the technical term, up the top of North America, right down to, uh, down to Central and South America, they have found tribes, people groups, who they have, they have determined that they all came from this, the one like origin of people from North Russia. So somehow they magically got across the water, probably during the Ice Age or some technical term like that. But, but they found this group of people down the west coast of North America who, who all are identified as the same people group that came from Russia from top of Russia, and how they have identified them is, is not necessarily by their DNA or their bone structure or the way they look, it was actually their dialect, that they found traces of language through that had survived through generations and hundreds of years that all came from this original language that is found in the top of North Russia. So these people identified not by only their DNA, by their traditions, by their beliefs, by the way they look, but actually identified and found and traced by their language. And you see, I believe there's a lesson in that for us as the church, that no matter where our journey takes us, out of these walls, through the week, into our workplaces, into our families, into our communities, whatever part, whatever tribe we go and join, the one thing that should trace us through everything that we go and do as a church is our language of love. That wherever we're represented, wherever we are, we're known for love, not just 
our Facebook profile and liking the North Lake Salvos page on Facebook and Instagram. But if you haven't done that, go ahead and do that. It's a good way to keep in touch. But I, I want to have a look at a story from the New Testament, an account of Jesus, where he demonstrated great love without any judgment. And three lessons that we can take from that, from how Jesus handled this situation, how he demonstrated that we should follow him, and, and, uh, and therefore how we need to be. And it's uh, the account of the woman who was caught in adultery from John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. If you're using version, flick there. If you don't have version on your phone, feel free to scroll through Instagram, but just do it at the times when we're reading the Bible so it looks like you're reading the Bible. John 8 from the Message Translation. It'll be on the screen, starting at verse 1. Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again, and swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. Verse 3, the religion... The religious scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. But what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. So Jesus is going about his business. He's teaching people. Uh, about the kingdom of God and, and the, the Pharisees who are, who are always out there trying to get him. They're trying to entrap him, tempt him to say something that they can use against him and get him out, uh, you know, out of the picture and, and, and just away from the influence that he was having. So they, they bring to him a woman that has been caught in the act of adultery and they kind of throw her at his feet and the crowd comes around and, and, and they're taunting him. What are you going to say? Moses says that, in the law, that this has to happen to her, but what are you going to say? It's an interesting fact that um, in this time, the Pharisees had actually taken, you know, what, what we call the law or the, the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, and they'd, they had what they called the mitzvah, which is 613 commandments to follow under Jewish law. And in this situation, when, when someone had been caught in adultery, there was a few things that had to happen, both of them had to be taken to the temple. Not just one, both of them had to be taken. There also had to be evidence presented. There had to be something that actually proved or, or people who gave witness to what had happened. And, and, and the process and the tradition would be then the high priest would actually, on the steps of the temple, would bend down and write in the dirt, the law that had been broken and then the punishment would, would be undertaken. And we know that this is what Jesus is about to do. But in these circumstances, the Pharisees had actually broken their own law. They threw her on the ground trying to trap him into something that they could use against him. And I think the first thing that we learn from Jesus in this circumstance that happened here is he didn't join in with the crowd. If you're taking notes, that's the first thing that you can write down that we need to be. People who don't join in with the crowd. The Pharisees were demanding to him, what do you say? When we read on in a moment, it says in verse 6 that Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. He ignored them. How annoying must that have been? Have you ever 
do you love that situation when you're talking to someone and they just don't respond? It's normally a musician thing I found. I had this boss that I used to work for and, and uh, he was a musician. We worked in a recording studio and uh, this is not in my notes but it's just a cool story. He, um, he, he used to get so absorbed in what he was like editing and producing that there was one day that I walked into him and said, hey, I'm going down to McDonald's. Do you want me to get you something? And he didn't respond. So I asked again and he didn't respond. So I just thought, well, I'm not going to ask a third time. That's rude. So I headed out, went and got my McDonald's, came back. Two hours later, he walked out and said, hey, mate, can you get me a Big Mac meal? <laughs> Two hours later. But you know that, that just when, when you're trying to talk to someone and they're just not there, they're just completely ignoring the situation that's going on around them and totally absorbed. Jess, you don't, you've never experienced this, no. And... Um, and and, and this is the situation that we had. The, the Pharisees and the religious scholars, they bring this woman to Jesus, throw her at, at his feet. They start how, you know, giving the accusations. What do you do? What do you do? And he just ignores them. He bends down and just starts drawing in the sand. Interestingly, the Greek word there is grapho, which is what we get graffiti from. And one of the meanings is in reference to something that is written. And a lot, of, a lot of scholars and people smarter than me believe that what Jesus actually wrote in the dirt was the law that the Pharisees were actually breaking by bringing her directly to him and not to the high priest. But I believe that as followers of Jesus, that the, the, the first thing that we need to do, the most important first step is not to join in with the crowd. It's so easy when, when we... When we're in these situations where people, you know, have been accused or, or of sin and all those things that we like to brand people with and, and say, you know, what's going on and, and all that. When, when we're in those situations, it's so easy to just join in with the crowd. I love Romans 12 in the message translation because it says one line about don't be pulled down into the culture that is around you. You know, don't just fit in with what's happening and and we talked at youth a couple of weeks ago about the need for us to be troublemakers in a good way. Troublemakers who stir up the culture, not just fit in with the crowd who wants to have a go at people or judge people or tell them the things that they're doing wrong or just leave them lying in the dirt ready to throw a stone at them and more worried about arguing about something. But we need to be people who are willing to cause trouble in the culture and not fit in with the crowd and actually stand up or in this case, say nothing. In verse 6, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt, and they kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he finished off his artwork. The second thing that Jesus demonstrated in, in just these few verses is that he actually cared about the person. Now, if you know your Bible and you know the Gospels, Jesus didn't very often shy away from the thought, uh, from the idea of having an opportunity to teach the Pharisees, to, to correct their view, to, to preach to them, to share something with them, to, to uh, take the opportunity to correct their thinking and, and bring in the idea of the new kingdom. And, uh, but in this situation... 
he actually showed that he cared more about the person that was on the ground next to him rather than joining the debate with the Pharisees. I think too often we, are, we as people, we love to argue and win the point too much. We like to have the, the last word or be the one that's, that's right. And I think it's so easy in these situations where, you know, the, the crowd comes and we're in a, a situation where, where there's a person or, you know, left in the dirt, broken, bruised and hurt, really in need of, of finding salvation and finding God. Too often we want to argue the point about what's happened and who's right and what really should have happened rather than actually caring about the person. Jesus so easily could have stood up and, and this could have turned into one of the greatest messages that he told on forgiveness and correcting the Pharisees and overturning the law and, and arguing about it. And all that time, this woman would have been lying in the dirt, bruised and broken. But instead of winning the point, he cared more about the person than winning the argument. And I believe that that's the second thing as, a, as people who want to go and be the church and known by our language of love, we need to be more concerned about the people who are bruised and broken than about the I told you so's and the who's right and who's wrong and, uh, and, and all those kind of things that we, we tend to do. Verse 9, hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master, she said. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way from now on. Don't sin. Everyone walked away and left her in the dirt, except for the one who actually showed her love. And that's the third thing that we need to be, is be the last one standing next to people. I've had the opportunity twice now to go and be a part of Street Safe Salvos, once in Sydney in King's Cross, which was a very eye-opening experience, and once in Newcastle last weekend. Thankfully, I was rostered on the week that didn't rain. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but out of all the opportunities that I've had out there, you know, handing out chuppa chup lollipops, handing out a, a fresh new pair of pluggers to, to anyone who who may have made a very poor choice in footwear to wear, um, giving directions or gracefully helping somebody to vomit. Uh, I think that even in just two weeks, the greatest, most effective kind of help that I ever gave anybody was simply to stand with them. When their friends couldn't be found, when their friends had gone home, when they're sitting in a gutter in, in, in not so nice circumstances, when the taxi won't take them home, when the buses are finished, when there's no one else around, simply just standing next to somebody who needs them. Not giving them advice, not telling them what they should do, so I'm pretty sure if you're sitting in a gutter, you're kind of already doing that yourself. But simply just being the only person that is willing to stand with them. And in those two weeks, the best conversations that I've ever had, the best opportunities that I've had to share love with people, not correction, is when you're being the only one 
left standing with them in the gutter. Not talking, not preaching, not lecturing, just standing. But there are three rules to live by, I believe, as we go and be people, be the church and and be known by the language of love. Three ways that the master demonstrated how to love people unconditionally and without judgment. Don't be a part of the crowd. Don't join in with the crowd. Care about the person and not just about the point or the argument. And be the last one that's willing to stand with them. And I believe that's good. I believe that's a great demonstration that Jesus showed us there in just a few short verses. How we can really demonstrate unconditional love without judgment to people who so desperately need him. I want to share a, a thought like a, I'm into illustrations. You know, I think I like to learn things visually and uh, I kind of think that, you know, so that's how I, if I take the opportunity, if I get the opportunity, I'm going to take it. So I want to, I want to share with you just a, on a bit of a, a change of direction, just a thought about what it means if we do go out there and actually not necessarily be known as people of love, but be the judgmental people that probably too often is expected where we're going out and and correcting and not just standing with people maybe being a part of the crowd being a part of the common voice and uh, caring more about winning arguments and fixing things and about the person and a couple of years ago I was um I was mowing the lawn and uh I have done it a couple of times since then not too often it's kind of one of those uh one of those things where Oh, I just believe that a lawn should be more like a garden. Have a variety of different grasses in it, some with little flowers and and stuff. So I normally wait until um until I'm in trouble to to mow the lawn and and then dig the lawnmower out from my garage under the amounts of stuff that's accumulated in there. And so I was mowing my lawn a couple of years ago, and I must have been doing it in a rush because. Uh, I was whippersnippering and I, I didn't have, I normally would wear sunglasses, which means it was probably late in the day at night. I'm trying to get it done because I may or may not have been told that I wasn't allowed to go play with my friends until it was done or something like that. Don't laugh, Mel. You know, that's how it works. And so I was, I was whippersnippering along the retaining wall and, and, uh, and I don't know, something probably a bit of stone kind of flicked up and out of all the places on my giant sized head that it could have hit it hit me right in the eye and I kind of took it and like yeah that's all right war wound uh, manly thing and um and I didn't notice that my eye was sore that night and it was kind of weeping but the next day when I woke up I could only open one eye which is not unusual for the morning but but like I, I just couldn't open it. it was swollen it was sore it was weeping and uh, and so off off to the hospital to have it checked out and and uh, we got up there and nurses would pry my eye open and flush it out and trying to get whatever kind of grit or something had stuck in there and and the doctors you know when your eyes saw Emily don't take offence to this but when your eyes saw and the oh there's a few doctors sorry guys uh, <laughs> hang on let me count. Yeah, I can get away. Uh, when your eyes saw and it's swollen and you can't open it and they're like, can you just open your eye, please? Like, no, <laughs> that's why I'm here. If I could open my eye, I, I wouldn't be here. Uh, but so 
prying the eye open, shining bright lights in it, squirting water in it, you know, great to do when you've got a sore eye, but... But eventually, like, I spent hours up there, and then it came back, yeah, it's all clear, nothing in there. I think my manly tears had probably washed it out. But, uh, but I, I, just, I was thinking about this message, and, and I said to Jess this morning, <laughs> she couldn't reply because she has no voice, which is good. Uh, I said, it's really hard to, um, to, to share a thought and, and preach a message about not being judgmental without actually sounding judgmental. It's really difficult to do. So I hope that we're still friends. But, but I was thinking about this and, and this whole idea and, and this, this, this thought came to my head about the time that I got this speck in my eye. And it reminded me of a verse. And, and I guess what, what I'm what I'm hoping you can catch from my heart is that love, not judgment. But I was really glad when I went to the hospital that day that, that I got to see a doctor and a nurse and not a speckologist, even though I had a speck in my eye. Have you ever, do you know a speckologist? It's not, it's not somebody who's been to university and studied it's not somebody who's done an internship and, and worked their way up. It's actually somebody, if, if you can forgive me for saying, who may have just spent a few years in church. And they've become a speckologist. Matthew 7 says, in the New Living Translation, Jesus talking, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? Why become a speckologist when you have a log in your own? Common sense. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. It's Jesus talking, not me. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I'm really glad that the doctor that came in that day to get the speck out of my eye wasn't a speckologist. That it was actually a doctor. You know, I've thought, I've heard this passage so many times growing up in church in Sunday school and and things like that. But I've never really pictured it. How funny it is when you think about it. Jesus saying and trying to get us to realize that, you know, we are all sinners. Just because we're in this place today, just because we're in relationship with God, just because we call ourselves and God calls us saved, doesn't mean that we're not sinners. I have a regular discussion with someone who who wants to continually kind of accuse Christians of being perfect. And I say to them, no, you've got it wrong. Christians aren't people who are perfect. We are people who know that we are not perfect and that we need a savior. We need to know God. We need to study his word. We are not perfect people. So how is it that too often we can become a speckologist and we want to walk around 
helping people with specks in their eye when, when at the end of the day we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And I believe Jesus really wanted to, to give us this visual representation to show us that, that at the end of the day we all have a log in our eye. It's not our job to go and be a speckologist and to, to help people with, with something that seems so insignificant when we are all in the same boat. We are all people who need Jesus. And, and as a visual person, I, I started to think about what this would be like as we go and be the church. And, and I just happened to have a log with me today. Here's one I prepared earlier. But I, I, just, I just realized just yesterday, actually, preparing this, and thinking about this passage that we just read over and go, yep, let's not go and be people with logs in our eye. But when we aren't being the church, when we aren't being known for a language of love, when we aren't being people who don't join in with the crowd, that, that don't care about the person and just want to win the argument, when we aren't willing to be the only ones standing it's kind of like walking around with a log in our eye. Have you ever thought about this as a speckologist? I'm not judging. I've been a speckologist many times for many years. Nikki Bright, no photos. Can you, can you picture, well, you're about to because I'm going to demonstrate it, what it's like to actually try and be the church when you're walking around with a log hanging out of your eye? I mean, when, when, you're, when you're looking at someone in the gutter on a Saturday night at Street Safe Salvos, and you want to go and tell them, yeah, it's getting heavy, what they need and should be doing, how are you even going to get close enough to care for them? When your neighbor just needs a listening ear, somebody to stand with them, I'm just having a break, Just to stand with them and just love them and just cook them a meal when their marriage is a bit messed up. But you want to go over there with your 15 Bible verses on what they need to do. How are you going to even get close enough to the fence to pass them the meal? You know, we can't be a church of speckologists. We have to be a church of people who are known for love, not judgment, not walking around with planks oh planks of wood but just people who are out there in our world not joining in with the crowd and the voice of everyone but being a troublemaker to the culture messing things up by by not just joining in with everyone else that we need to actually care about the person and they know the circumstances that they're in they know why they're sitting in a gutter they know why their marriage isn't right why they're kids are astray. They know all these things that, that we don't need to go in there and tell them. We just need to care for them. Cook them a meal. Tell them you love them. Spend some time with them. Hang out with them. Not try and bash their head with a plank of wood that's hanging out of your own eye. Sorry. And at the end of the day, we just need to be people who are willing to stand without judgment without advice, without preaching, without lecturing, 
just with an arm around the shoulder, just waiting for that moment where the Holy Spirit can come and do the work that needs to be done. And we're just there to support what He's doing in their life. That's how we go and be the church. That's how we go and love people without judgment. That's how we do what the Master told us to do. We might get the band to come up and we're nearly done here. But there's one thing that I just want to say before we pray, before we finish. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if anyone in this room at any point has ever received a bit of a bash in the head with a log, has ever felt judged or been preached at or been lectured, or when they really just needed someone to sit with them to have been told a million things that they need to do. I'm sorry if you've ever felt like that. But what you've got to know is that is not God's heart. That is not Jesus' heart. He demonstrated to us here exactly how He loves us. Broken people who need Him. And I just want to say before we finish that, there in all of eternity, in every time that exists and eternity after that, in all of that, there is only one day that has been set aside for judgment. One day. It wasn't yesterday. It's not today. It's really not looking like it's going to be tomorrow. But one day in all of eternity that has been set aside for judgment. And the reality is, there's only one judge. It's not our job to judge. And so let's go and be the church and just love people. Let Northeast and the church as a whole be known as people who love, who will stand, who will not join in with the crowd, and who will care for people, not about the point. Let me pray before we finish with some worship. Lord, we just thank you that, that, you, that you love us so much that you demonstrated here in this situation that does seem so horrible and so graphic and so big, just no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, no matter who's picking up stones to throw at us, whether right or wrong, that you still care for us, that you will look at us with eyes of love, that you will protect us, that you will keep us safe. And Lord, I pray for all of us, every one of us in this room, that we would be people who are known for their love for others, that we would be connected to you, that we would chase you, but we would be those people who stand when no one else will stand, that will love when no one else will love, that we would point people always towards you without any judgment or without any love. We thank you, Lord. We thank you so much. Amen.